It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCKDOWN to get $10 off that first order. Let's get it going on the Lockdown Thunder podcast, a part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. It's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. And game one has just wrapped up between the Thunder and the Rockets. And we'll cover it all right now on Locked on Thunder. We take you to the game overview. Russell Westbrook, of course, was out with that quad injury. We knew Lou Dort would be out with the knee injury. And Billy Donovan said in the media availability, there is no timetable for Lou Dort's return. Now, that could have been coach speak, uh, but certainly don't feel as good about him playing game two as I once did. Uh, The Thunder line in this game was minus one. Spoiler alert, I took OKC. That was a bad call. Uh, The starters in place of Lou Dort was Terrence Ferguson getting back in there. Now, I I talked about this yesterday. I would have preferred to see your three-guard lineup on the floor because although Terrence Ferguson did a a great job against uh, James Harden and has always done a great job against James Harden defensively, you still are not going to stop James Harden. The the defense on James Harden does not matter. He's good for at least 30 points a night, 40 points a night in the postseason. It doesn't matter who's on him. If it's Scottie Pippen or Terrence Ferguson, he's going to score. So I would have rather seen uh, your best lamp statistically on the floor uh, earlier, more often uh, together. But obviously, we saw that lineup. It was not as effective against Houston in game one of this series. I also wrote an article on DailyThunder.com, which went up yesterday, about what this game and what this series means for Oklahoma City. Uh, But going into the first quarter, the Rockets had – Open threes galore, and that was a trend that continued throughout this game. And, and Oklahoma City tried to slow the game down with Stephen Adams, who get who got two quick fouls on Eric Gordon to start the game, just due to Adams' size. But this was my big point in all of the previews: is about how can Adams stay on the floor? He has not been able to do that the last two postseasons, uh, and. With the Rockets, you need to run with them, not necessarily shoot threes with them, obviously. Uh, Nobody can shoot the volume and at the clip the Rockets do from three, but you need to push the pace with a team like 
Houston, who does not have the depth, who does not have uh, the reserves needed to keep up. And that's how you tire them out. You do not give them the opportunity to rest defensively by dumping it off inside to Steven Adams, who was, you know, statistically in this game, he, he was really good. But I think that some people are missing uh, beyond the box score so to say. Again, in this game, statistically, 17 points on 53% from the field and 12 rebounds is really good for anyone watching the box score. But defensively, if it was on Billy or Adams or whatever, he was shaded way too close to the block and not protecting the perimeter, which everyone should have known going into this game, that's what you need to do against Houston is to protect the perimeter and to run them off the three-point line. If they get twos, so be it. But you cannot allow them to hit open threes or to even get the chance to hit open threes. That's what you did today. They, The Rockets had every open three they wanted, and they made you pay for it. And Adams statistically had a good game, but there were some things there that worry you moving forward about you know his defense and still – 12 rebounds is good. Uh, it's 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 not the gaudy numbers that you think he should have with the height advantage, but still a really good game from Adams. There's just still some things to worry about moving forward because mainly, uh, you know, I, I've talked about it since last week. The way to beat this team, this Rockets team, is to run with them. Again, not shoot with them, not jack up crazy threes, but to run with them and tire them out. Can Adams do that when he's on the floor? And you heard after the game, Billy Donovan talked about needing to run with Houston. Chris Paul talked about needing to run with Houston. Even Steven Adams talked about needing to run with Houston. Can Steven Adams be a part of that lineup that gets out and runs against Houston? And he had a good game. I mean, I mean, he, he forced the Rockets into some fouls. Uh, he did uh, sh- take some, some shots early in the possession where it was kind of ill-advised to shoot over two guys, but you just look at that matchup, and as I said, you fall in love with the fact that logically you say to yourself, Adams is seven feet. This guy is six five. Why not just shoot over the top of him? But but these guys have so much leverage, and they're such good post defenders, even without the height, that it really impacts Adams as a shooter. Adams as a as a as a factor offensively. So the 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 stat sheet looked good, and I know everyone loves Adams, but there that's not to me. This is not a for sure thing that he can stand the floor if you want to win, because. A lot of these possessions, even that ended with Adams getting points on his way to 17 points, a lot of these possessions went to the final buzzer in the shot clock. And that is not conducive to winning if you're Oklahoma City. That is not something that's a winning recipe if you're in Oklahoma City. And Billy Donovan knows that as well as anyone. Everyone in the post-game media availability said, we have to up the pace, we have to up the tempo. When we found success in this game, it was by getting out and running. I don't know if Adams can do that. So outside the box score, Adams did not have the best game ever. But he, he also was not awful to where you couldn't play him. I think that the only guy that you looked at in this game for Oklahoma City and said you cannot play him is Hamadou Diallo. And the thing with Hamadou Diallo is he's a wild card. He was the first non-Dennis perimeter player to get into the game. Of course, Dennis Schroeder will be the first perimeter player in the game every single time. He is your sixth man. He is the sixth man of the year. But after Dennis, the next guy up was Hamadou Diallo. He took an awful drive that wasted the possession. He wasted two or three more possessions in the first half. He was terrible in this game. He's supposed to be your energy guy. He's supposed to be your defensive guy. He got blown by three straight possessions. And that's the problem with Diallo. A project second-round pick 
that has not been consistent. He's a wild card. And look, game two on Thursday, if Donovan still trusts him, if Donovan, if Donovan still puts him on the floor, he could have a good game because that's the player he is. He's going to try hard. And sometimes just trying hard is enough. But it was not tonight. Tonight it was not enough. And Diallo had an embarrassing game out there for Oklahoma City. He got 14 minutes, scored seven points on two of six shooting from the floor, one for four from beyond the arc, including a, a air ball that was wide open uh, from deep. Diallo provided you literally nothing. Again, statistically, he's one of the best shot disruptors in the NBA, altering uh, guys' shots. He couldn't even do that in this game. He didn't provide you good defense. He didn't provide you good offense. He was a net negative all the way around for Oklahoma City. Hamadou Diallo, to me, was the only guy you looked at on this floor and said that they're unplayable. Because even Terrence Ferguson, uh, in his 15 minutes, I would have liked to see more Terrence Ferguson minutes. Terrence Ferguson gets you six points on two of three shooting, two of three from beyond the arc, that is. And good defense on Harden. Again, James Harden will get whatever he wants on the basketball floor. But you can't guard Harden any better than Terrence Ferguson did. You, You just can't. I mean, there's just no way to do it because he's so unguardable. And that's the tough situation uh, that Ferguson found himself in. But to me, the only the only unplayable player so far has been Hamadou Diallo, and there's still a question mark with with Adams. I'm not I'm not convinced Adams is the best recipe to beat the Rockets, even though he has the size advantage. That's not to say he can't be a huge X factor, but to me, it's not a sure thing after what I saw in Game One due to the lack of defense, you know, on the perimeter, due to uh, the inconsistencies when rebounding the ball down low and when getting post position that would lead to an automatic bucket. How many times in game one, I can think of about three times in game one where at, where Adams had such good positioning. It was an automatic bucket. He didn't have to fight for it. He didn't have to dribble. He didn't have to back a guy down. He didn't have to try to, to spin around and, and see if the hook shot was there. Automatic bucket. I can think of about three times where he did that against a much smaller Houston lineup, which is a credit to Houston for having small guys who are also good at leveraging their bodies and good at uh, posting up down low. And on the flip side of that, I can also think of about two times, uh, maybe three, where Chris Paul just made an errant pass that kind of ruined some good positioning by Steven Adams. So that's why I learned almost nothing about Adams in this game in terms of can he play in this series? Because to me, the question is still, are you a glass half full or a glass half empty person? To me, uh, we'll find out a lot in game two. I, I think he did enough in this game to, to, to not warn anyone coming after him, Adams, uh, but I don't think he did enough to say he's going to be the difference in this series. One way or the other, good or bad. I don't think he did anything to move that needle he played a fine game. He really did. But I think a lot of it is overblown because of the stat sheet, because of the basic counting stats. Actually watch the game and not necessarily just the box score. One more time, though, Adams did play well in this game. He did play well. But if we can all agree, and Billy Donovan agrees, that getting out and running is the best way to beat Houston, when you start getting out and running, can you still play Steven Adams? Whenever you, whenever you go away from the slog fest that was game one, when you move away from dumping it down low and wasting the entire shot clock with Adams at the post, can he still play? We didn't see them try to do that the way I thought we would in game one. So I still have not learned anything from that aspect, from that aspect of Steven Adams. But I'll tell you more about what I did learn in this game. But first, I need to tell you that Axios today 
is a fantastic way to start your mornings in just 10 minutes. Access Today host Nyla Badu and a team of award-winning journalists will bring you the latest analysis and insight into trends that are shaping our world. Between never-ending laundry cycles and incoming emails, you've got plenty on your to-do list. Give yourself one less thing to worry about and let DoorDash take care of your next meal. DoorDash is an app that brings you food you're craving right now, right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door in a new contactless delivery option in the settings menu. With over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go-tos or choose from a favorite national chain options like Chipotle, Wendy's, and Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local restaurants, and your food will be left right outside your door. DoorDashes, again, are now contactless to keep communities operating in a safe manner. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off with zero delivery fees on your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCKEDONNBA. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app right now from your app store and use promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Don't forget, that's code LOCKEDONNBA for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So Shea has to be one of the the biggest takeaways from this game, or lack thereof, because the playoffs are about your best players. You need your best players in the postseason in order to succeed. And even though he's only a year two guy, I understand all of that. Shea is one of your best players. And the fact of the matter is one of your best players in this game gave you nine points in 35 minutes and 25% shooting from the floor, 33% shooting from beyond the arc, one for three for Shea and four rebounds and one assist. That was what one of your best players gave you. That's not to say that Shea is a bad player or that Shea can never be a postseason player. That's just not true. We saw him as a rookie. Uh, go head to, you know, go toe-to-toe with the Golden State Warriors in, in L.A. in a Doc Rivers offense. We saw him do it in the postseason before. But this is a trend now for Shea inside the bubble of not being aggressive with the basketball, of not being able to score at the clip he once was, of not getting his shot right, uh, of, of a lot of different things offensively not clicking for him. This has been a trend inside the bubble outside of one second half against the Denver Nuggets, really one-fourth quarter against the Denver Nuggets. This has been the trend for Shea. Bad offense, which leads to bad defense. This has been what he's been inside Orlando. Now, this season, he's been great. This season, he's been your leading scorer, and he's been someone that I look at personally, and I think that can be your main guy the next time that that we sit around Oklahoma City and think we have a championship contender playing at Chesapeake Energy Arena, or whatever they call it by that time. But the bottom line is, inside the bubble, he has not been good. And at this point, we've gotten three scrimmages, eight regular season games, and one postseason game. So 
it clearly is not the motivation factor, which I threw out there before about, hey, you know, it's a scrimmage or, hey, you know, it's a seeding game. Maybe Shea is not locked in yet. You, you have to be locked in for the postseason, especially a postseason series that many people, I think every everyone around the NBA landscape that truly pays attention to the NBA, viewed as a winnable series for Oklahoma City, you have to be locked in. You have to be ready to go if you're Shea. So what's the difference from the end of the last season, at the end of the, the layoff period, of course, from March 11th until now? What's been the difference from the hiatus? Is he hurt? Is he dealing with an injury? Now, he, he rested on the second night of back-to-back, but they did put a calf injury next to his name. I took that more, as you know, on this podcast, I took that more as Billy Donovan just not wanting to say what it is, and that's load management. He wants to, you know, he, he wants to define an injury to make it look like they're not just simply load managing guys. But maybe there is a calf injury bothering him. His shots have looked short. He doesn't have the lift. He doesn't have the lift he normally does in his shot. He can't get to the rim as smooth and effortless as he once was able to. He's very passive right now. He's not as aggressive, very timid, which does not play into his strong suits. Again, the game was slow. Even a lineup with Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, and Shea was slow. I don't know how that happens. So I don't know what's up with Shea, but that's a big, big, big red flag. I did want to talk about Chris Paul and Dennis as well, part of that three-guard lineup, which never got cooking in this game. Those two guys in the first quarter, whenever this game started teetering on the brink, which, mind you, at the end of the first quarter, Houston was only up by eight. So this was a really slugfest first quarter. It was like a prize fight. They were feeling each other out, feeling each other out all first quarter. And it ended up with Houston up eight. But in that first quarter, there were back-to-back possessions with five minutes left in the, in the first quarter that were totally and absolutely wasted by an early shot clock three, contested three, as soon as they got down the court by Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder. Trying to play hero ball. This is after a couple possessions didn't go their way defensively. Trying to break the thunder out of a mini shooting slump. This is the same song and dance we've seen the last two years in the postseason. This ISO hero ball-like offense. There was a ton of ISO offensively in this game. There was not a ton of ball movement the same way there has been this entire season. And that's been the biggest key for the Thunder this entire season was that they're finally using a ball, you know, finally using a motion offense. They were not able to do that in this game, and it led to them looking stagnant offensively. And Houston just switching everything on defense, which, which we all knew they would do coming in. I mean, Jackson Gatlin of Locked on Rockets told us that on Monday. So Billy Donovan certainly knew it. Chris Paul certainly knew it. The team certainly knew it. That'd be a switch defense. And they look like they, they were a deer in headlights. They know what to do. Like they've never seen a switch before defensively. They were freaking out. They, they didn't know what to do. They shot 25% from the field and 15% from deep in the second quarter. In the first half, I should say. Houston shoots 44% from three in the first half. Now, let me even further explain that, what that means. For a team like Houston, who thinks that any possession that does not end in a three-point shot is a failure, even if, even if it misses, they, don't, they would rather shoot a three than make a mid-range shot from the elbow. And for them to have the volume of three shot that they did and to still be shooting 44% 
from beyond the arc is an indictment and the biggest indictment on Oklahoma City's defense. They finished the game with 52 three-point sh- uh, 52 three-point shots put up. 52 three-point shots. They still finished 38% from beyond the arc. Normally, when you shoot more, the percentages keep dropping. And still, that's an above-league average three-point percentage. That's how good the Rockets are at threes. That's also how bad the Thunder defense was at closing out, at rotating, at contesting three-pointers. That should have been the only place in which Thunder defenders were at, was the three-point line. And this goes back to Stephen Adams. I vividly remember one of the first possessions in the second half, or right before the second half, right before the first half ended, I should say, was Jeff Green walking, literally walking down the court. And Chris Paul and Stephen Adams double-teaming someone at the elbow. I believe that that someone was Daniel House, if I'm not mistaken. But they're literally double-teaming someone at the elbow while, while Jeff Green walks up the court. He looks at a wide-open three. Adams doesn't step up. Chris Paul doesn't step up. Nobody steps up. Shoots a wide open three, nails it. You cannot give the Rockets threes. You just can't do it, or this is going to happen. I don't care if the Rockets, if the Rockets beat you by you giving up layups, it would feel better than you giving up wide open corner threes. Because at least you're at least you're forcing them to do something they don't want to do. And in that first half, the Rockets out rebounded Oklahoma City. Now Oklahoma City came back and did end up winning the rebounding battle. But but at the halftime break, the Rockets were out rebounding Oklahoma City. Shea did not have a point with nine minutes left in the half. He didn't have a single point. With nine minutes left in the second half. I already mentioned that Diallo got blown by. Mike Muscala and Baisley were some of your best players on the stretch of that first half. But this, the Shea thing is very concerning moving forward for Oklahoma City. After the break, we're going to talk about Andre Robertson and what I saw in game one. And also, we're going to talk about Jeff Green and if these Rockets role players can continue their hot streak into game two. But first, I want to tell you about our good friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar is a fantastic protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. They're fantastic for pre-workout post-workout, and I even use them as a meal replacement on your way to campus or wherever you're going to work or whatever. Just grab a Bilt Bar. They'll fill you up. I promise you they'll keep you full. If they keep me full, they're going to keep you full. It, it is a it is a brilliant uh, protein bar. It's covered in 100% chocolate. It does not have that chalky aftertaste like that most protein bars do afterwards. After you eat them, there's no bad aftertaste. It tastes tremendous. And they're not as chewy as they were before. If you, if you, bought, if you bought this Bilt Bar before, for this redesign, they were a bit chewy. I'll be honest. I still liked them. Bit chewy. These protein bars with a with a revamp in their recipe, Built Bar has made them uh, an easier chewing experience, and they're a lot softer and just a lot nicer. I, I love Built Bar. Seriously, they sent all of our all of our hosts uh, a, a sample box. I bought another box. My sister bought a box. They're sending us another box here coming up with their new flavors, and I cannot wait to try. I am seriously in love with this product, and their new flavors are going to be incredible. They have caramel brownie. They have cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. My favorite of the old flavors was banana nut bread. It's going to be tough to dethrone banana nut bread. I promise you it'll be tough, but I'll be honest, cookies and cream might be coming for that spot. Again, 
Built Bar is a fantastic protein bar because it's low in calorie, low in sugar, uh, high in protein, high in fiber. It's great if you're doing the keto diet. Just everything you need in a protein bar is with Built Bar. You can go to BuiltBar.com and order yours today by using promo code Locked On. You'll get $10 off that next order. And while supplies last, with that order, you'll get a free cooler. So why not? Get you some great protein bars with 100% real chocolate on the outside that tastes just like a candy bar. Trust me, you're gonna want to get a, you're gonna want to get involved with Built Bar. That's BuiltBar.com promo code locked on to save $10 off that next order. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house, or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming, or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, Switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. So Andre Robertson got into this contest, and it was, of course, the biggest storyline for Oklahoma City entering this restart. Once we found out who's going to travel and who's going to play and who's ready to go, uh, was what can he provide and what can he provide in the postseason? Now, let me preference all of this uh, by saying no matter what you think or how you think Andre played, no matter any of that, it's just a, a mirror. It's just miraculous he's playing. It, it deserves credit. I know uh, people don't like participation trophies. I know people don't like to do this, but to be out of basketball for almost three years, and then after eight games, after eleven games, if you count the scrimmages, after eleven games, you're trusted to go out there and guard James Harden. Now, he only got three minutes in this game. Uh, again, it was one of those situations where if you are if you only have Andre, no matter what they say, you only have Andre for a, a minute's cap, I promise you. They can say whatever they want to about no restrictions. Inside the walls of the Thunder organization, there's some sort of minute cap on Andre. So why waste those minutes in a blowout game like this? But he only got three minutes, but still, to come back after almost three years out, and to play any minutes and be trusted with any of those minutes to guard James Harden is incredibly impressive, no matter how you think he did. Now, there was a time that he got blown by by James Harden, which is bound to happen coming back from the knee injury. There was also two great defensive possessions by Andre. He picks up a foul on one of them. That's going to happen with James Harden, but he also has a beautiful contest on a Harden step back, where Harden tries to sell another foul by acting like he's injured, but he wasn't injured, it wasn't a foul, and the refs didn't buy into that one. Andre played well in three minutes. Again, it's only three minutes, but he does deserve a hat tip just for getting back on the floor. And that's such a good storyline. I think one of the best storylines inside this restart. Of course, you have Damian Lillard, and you have other big storylines like the Suns, but I think that this is one of the best storylines in the in the restart, is just Andre being back on the floor. Uh, but I did want to talk a little bit about the, about the refs. That was a huge talking point for the Thunder I don't know if it's because I went into it knowing this would happen or what, but it didn't surprise me. I mean, it, it didn't bother me 
Now, now the refs against in Dallas and the Clippers ejecting Kristaps uh, Porzingis for no reason. In a situation where both teams agreed nothing was ex- escalated. In fact, the only person that pushed anyone was Marcus Morris. Uh, and all KP did was go talk to the guy. Uh, in that situation, we were literally ejecting one of the best players on the court for, for really no reason, for an air punch, which yes, technically is a technical, uh, and for talking to an opponent. Yes, I have a big problem with that. But we all knew that James Harden would get these calls. We, we all knew that that's how he plays the game. Now, you can say that that's a boring way to play the game. You, you can say that that, shouldn't be a, you know, that that shouldn't be something that we admire about James Harden, the fact that he can get these ticky-tack calls for no reason. But that's how you play the game. That's how he plays the game. You knew coming in, that's what it was going to be with James Harden. Now, there was a, f- a few calls that went Jeff Green's way, you know, that, that you could deem a superstar call, so to say. But all in all, the calls even out. I mean, they really do. All in all, the calls even out. And the Houston fouled six more times than Oklahoma City did, which, which is not always an indication of how good a referee crew is. I get that. Uh, but it evened out. Oklahoma City gets 25 free throws. Uh, Houston gets, 20, uh, gets 19. That's what I care about the most is how many times someone got to the line. Oklahoma City still got to the line more. Now, again, uh, a call on, on Noel here and there that I didn't like, but that's going to happen. That's basketball. We cannot get caught up into that. It's going to happen in every series and every basketball game you watch from uh, from the time they implement refs in third grade until the time that, that you stop watching basketball, the, the time that you uh, go to some pro-am league with 15 washed-up NBA players and a couple JUCO guys and a couple guys that were great in D2. It's going to happen in every basketball game that has referees. There's going to be some calls you don't like. To me, that certainly is not why you lost. Certainly not. But that second half did not have a lot to talk about. I mean, uh, there was a good stretch to start the second half of Adams feasting, but that that really did not duplicate itself. I mean, it was, a, it was like three straight good possessions, and then other than that, it was very quiet in that regard. Houston, though, to me, this was the biggest... This was the biggest part of this game because at one point in the second half, in the fourth quarter even, it was a 13-point wall game. And, and, and a stretch here in the, th- in the third quarter, late in the third, early fourth, Houston goes on a stretch of 0 for 6 from the field, 1 for 7 from the field, you know, not making a shot for six straight possessions. Six straight possessions ended for Houston without a point being scored. You didn't score once. Oklahoma City didn't. You didn't cash in on one of those opportunities. And again, this game was a blowout by all regards. Houston led by one point at 23, and it was only tied twice, and there was only three lead changes. By all regard, Houston kept you at arm's length like an adult battling a child. But you had it down to 13 at one point in the fourth quarter, and then you had this stretch here where Houston goes empty-handed down the floor six straight times. Six straight times, Houston goes empty-handed. And you don't score one time. That can't happen against Houston. It really can't. That just can't happen. And then Jeff Green scores 22 points. Uh, he, he had The Rockets had five players in double digits. Daniel House had nine points. So really, if you want to, be, you know, if you want to round that up, that, that's six players in double digits. They did exactly what you had to do. In Houston, Oklahoma City did the opposite of what you need to do. And that sounds that sounds, you know, basic. Whenever you look at a score, 120, you know, 123 to 108, 
a win. That sounds like that's an obvious take there. Uh, but it wasn't like you got the best effort from Oklahoma City and Oklahoma City played their best game and Houston just outclassed them. Houston got the game from their role players that you need around James Harden. Oklahoma City from Shea got nine points. From Dennis got six points. Now, Baisley gave you nine, which is good. But but your three-guard lineup had 20 points from Chris Paul on 50% shooting, had nine points from Shea, and six points from Dennis. And you didn't have a little Dort defensively. Now, how much does all that matter? We'll talk about in the Game 2 preview tomorrow. But the bottom line is your best lineup all year long got you 29-6. and six. Those are three of your best players on this team. Two of your starters did not crack double digits, and I know Terrence Ferguson is not a true starter. But the bottom line is, without Russell Westbrook, what has been said to be the key all along was getting their role players hot from downtown, spreading around the love, spreading the floor around James Harden, and, and allowing James Harden to be surrounded by shooters. Macklin works you four three-pointers. Green gives you three, three, three three-pointers. So does P.J. Tucker, and Eric Gordon gives you two three-pointers. It's exactly what they did. That was the exact game plan for Houston. It was not the exact game plan for Oklahoma City. Would have loved to see Oklahoma City get out and run more, which it sounds like they're going to do in game two. So my three big things from this game. Number one is that the Thunder do understand they need to go fast. At this point, it's not just me talking to thin air. It's not just me yelling into a microphone about this team needing to run, about this team needing to try Darius Baisley at the five, this team needing to go coast to coast, this team needing to pick up the pace and not necessarily shoot threes with them, but still run the floor. At this point, it's not just me anymore. It is Billy Donovan at the podium. It's Chris Paul at the podium. It's Steven Adams at the podium. They're telling you they need to run fast. So if they still don't do it, that's on them. But the Thunder have acknowledged and understand they need to up the tempo to beat Houston. Jackson Gatlin, who watched the 82 Rockets games, told you that. I told you that. Donovan told you that. Adams told you that. Paul told you that. They all know they need to go fast. Number two is that Shea has to get going. How many more games can we say that Shea has to get going? Again, he's had one good half inside Orlando's bubble. One good half. And, and people love to, to try to take things out of context or be the contrarian. There were people on Twitter you know, saying that, like acting like Thunder fans were saying Shea sucks. That's stupid. You're being an idiot if you do that. No one was saying Shea sucks. No one is saying Shea sucks. The bottom line is, though, they're in a playoff series, and we're only talking about this series in a vacuum. And Shea, one of your best players, needs to give you more than nine points, especially whenever this is not his rookie year. And even in his rookie year, he showed he can play in the postseason. And it's not like he's playing his style of basketball. Like Darius Baisley, for example. And I hate to go back to him and pick on him about that Lakers game. But that Lakers game was atrocious. It was. And he was still playing his game, that Lakers game. His shots just weren't falling. He was still playing within the, the flow of the offense. He was still doing his job. He just couldn't get shots to fall. And that's going to happen on nights for young players. But if you remember that Lakers recap I said... I'm still encouraged by Baisley because although this was a bad game, he played his brand of basketball. He did everything right, and eventually that'll click for him. I can't say the same about Shea, that he's doing everything right and he's playing his style of basketball. 
Now, again, maybe there's some injury we don't know about. To me, that's the only explanation for this because he's shown he can handle a big stage in the postseason, a postseason that was featured against the, the, the Warriors, a healthy Warriors team at that time. A postseason that was played inside Oracle Arena, the loudest stadium in basketball, one of the loudest stadiums in basketball, with Warriors fans packing the house and not in front of nobody on, you know, with fans on virtual screen screens not making any noise. He's shown he can do this, so he needs to step up and play better. But that's not anyone giving up on Shea. Don't be an idiot. Don't try to be a contrarian or I'm smarter than everyone else. It, we're evaluating Shea on one game. In the future, I've said and will continue to say he can be a superstar in the NBA. But we're not talking about the future right now. We're talking about this current version of Shea in the bubble. We're not even talking about this season for Shea. This season for Shea, he's been awesome. He's been incredible. He's been your leading scorer. But we're just talking about this one game and this one bubble period of eight-game sample size. He needs to get going, and he needs to figure it out because no one expected the, the Rockets to sweep. No one expected this to be easy. Nobody expected this to be easy for either side. So losses are going to come for both sides. Uh, but you did expect if this was going to be a close series, as everyone predicted, I didn't see anyone picking the Rockets in less than six games, so that means it's going to, it's going to be a close series. Then your best player and your best players with Shea involved in that have to step up and have to be good. Now, my number three big thing is that I can start taking a victory lap early on Delino Gallinari. I called him uh, the series MVP on the Daily Thunder roundtable for the pre- uh, you know previewing the playoffs. I've said on this podcast he's going to be a big X factor in this series with Darius Baisley and Steven Adams as well, you know, for different reasons for, for all those guys. And in this game, Gallo gives you 29 points, 52% from the floor, 40% from deep, nine for nine from the line and three rebounds, three assists. We head now to the game MVP. MVP right now. You the real MVP. The MVP of this game, of course, for me is Delino Gallinari, one of the only players that showed up for Oklahoma City, one of the only players that made me look smart in this game, and that is Gallo, who I always said would present a bad matchup for the Rockets. We already mentioned his stats. He was awesome. He's the MVP. And now it's time for the Andrew Wiggins of the game. This, of course, is the -the under-the-radar player that breaks out against Oklahoma City, as Andrew Wiggins always does. Ben McLemore is your Andrew Wiggins Award of the game. 14 points with four three-pointers, and Rockets fans before this series were deathly afraid of if he could even stay on the floor in the postseason. Rockets fans didn't know if he could stay on the floor this postseason. He gives you four three-pointers and some good defense along the way as well. All Houston players played really good defense in this game. The better the day outcome, I had Oklahoma City minus one. We all know how that turned out. I will say, on a bit of a hot streak, though, bit of a hot streak with the rest of the NBA playoffs. So if you go to my bookie and use promo code LOCKDOWNNBA, just saying, take take my, the rest of my advice. We'll see what the line is at tomorrow for the game preview. Coming up this week, we'll, of course, have the game preview for Thursday's game two. On Friday, we will recap the game two of this series I will say it's game one. Let's take a breath a little bit here, folks. Remember what you were feeling when Paul George went playoff pee on Joe Ingles in game one two years ago and how that ended up. 
for Oklahoma City. And remember, this is still a long way to go inside the Orlando bubble. I appreciate everyone who listened to the podcast this entire week with Jackson Gatlin, with Andrew Schlecht, with Olivia Punshaw, with Brennan Rabar, with Madison Morris, and cannot wait to continue this podcast into the postseason and beyond. The support has been fantastic. We've we've been growing each and every day. Uh, the support could not have been any better since I've taken over Locked on Thunder, climbing up the Apple charts as well. So thank you all for continuing to support and you can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. It's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. We'll be back for an in-depth preview of game two of this series tomorrow. Be good and be good to one another. We'll see you next time on Locked on Thunder. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.